This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Today we are in week two of our summer message series that we've called Summer Psalms. And so we're just working our way through some of our favorites, some of those that God has spoken to us about. Uh, this will continue for the next six weeks, including today. It's actually my last Sunday to preach part of this series. Angie and I leave um, after, after today. We're going to leave and go on a five-week sabbatical. Uh, so you're not going to see us, but you will get the privilege of seeing and hearing from some amazing men and women of God over the next five weeks. Uh, so I've made the joke several times, but uh, we're going on sabbatical, but Christian Chapel is not going on sabbatical. So we're going to continue to minister, we're going to continue to worship, continue to do all those things together. I want to encourage you to be here as often as you can. Next Sunday, you're going to hear from Clifton Talbert, um, the Sunday after that from Pastor Kareem, and then from Rubens Cunha, from Pastor Amy, and from Pastor Chris Godfrey. Uh, so each week, they're just going to share with you whatever God has put on their heart from the Psalms uh, for this particular season. As I've heard from a few of them, the things that, that they're going to speak about, I'm really excited for you to hear them. Um, today, though, is my turn, and so I'm going to take us to Psalm chapter 71, and we're going to talk about what it means for God to be the rock. Um, now, when you talk about the rock, uh, some of us who are a little less cultured immediately think of Dwayne Johnson, um, you know, and all of his catchphrases. And those of you who don't know, you are the real Christians, right? And uh, you never watched WWE, you never hid in the basement and watched it while your parents were upstairs and then changed the channel real quick when they came down. Uh, but I've heard there are people who did that growing up, right? Uh, so that's not the rock we're talking about. We're talking about what it means for God to be our fortress, to be our strong tower, to be the one that we run to uh, when we're in need and to find that he is our source of safety, he's our source of security. So, so we're going to kind of work our way through this psalm. We're not going to read the entire thing, we'll just hit some portions of it, but you can read the whole thing later this afternoon, it's, it's fairly short. We'll start in Psalm, chapter, or psalm 71, verse 1. If you have a Bible, you can read along with me. If not, it's going to be here on the screens for you. The psalmist begins, in you, Lord... I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Now this psalm, like many of them, is a cry for God to deliver. We don't know the exact situation uh, that compels the psalmist to write and ask for God to deliver him, but we know he's in some type of need. And what's interesting for us to see is he begins his cry for God's intervention by making a statement of not just, Lord, I'm going to seek refuge in you, but reminding himself, Lord, I have already in this moment taken refuge in you, and then also pointing back to his history of, Lord, I have previously taken refuge in you. And so what he's teaching us from the very beginning is when you find yourself in a season of need, a season of want, a season of lack, a moment when you need God's deliverance, when you need his provision, when you need him to save or to heal, when you need him to come and lead your enemies away from you. In that moment, even before you start praying about what you hope God will do, you want to remember what he has done. And so the psalmist is making this point to us that God will do what he has done. Our previous experiences of God's grace, his mercy, his power, his safety, his security, his deliverance are part of our source of faith that he will do the same thing again right here, right now in the moments that we're facing. 
This is why it's so important for us to tell our stories, right? It's why we, we try to push constantly at Christian Chapel of, hey, don't just worship with us on Sundays, but get in a home group. Go to an adult discipleship group on a, on a Wednesday night. Get your kids in D groups if they're, if they're in chapel youth age. Get them into chapel kids so that they can learn the stories. They can tell the stories of God's deliverance, God's healing, God's salvation in their life. Now, for some of us, there's a, a temptation at times of, well, I, I don't want people to think I'm bragging about the good things in my life. And if that's your fear, then I want to give you a way to do it. Whenever God does something good for you, it usually and often comes on the, uh, the other end of a season of struggle or difficulty. So you don't have to start by just saying, hey, here I am at the mountaintop. Aren't I awesome? Don't you wish you were like me? But instead, if you'll start in the valley... If you'll tell the story of the dark night of your soul, if you'll tell of the difficulty and the problems you faced and encountered, and then tell of how God was with you, that builds others' faith in a way that is not off-putting, that is not all about you, but is all about God. See, when we refuse to tell the stories of what God has done, we're, we're doing two negative things. First, we're robbing God of the glory he deserves. Every good thing in your life is a platform to tell the story of God's goodness to the world. And the second thing you're doing is you are robbing others of the encouragement they are designed to receive from your story. So when we're saying, I'm facing hardship, I'm facing difficulty, we're going to tell the stories of what God has done for us before. We're going to tell them to ourselves, we're going to tell them to others, and we're going to remember God will do it again. Now, you might be in a spot this morning where you think, I, I don't have previous stories. Right, my whole life, like for many of our royal family campers, if we said, tell your stories of God's deliverance, many of them would say, I don't have them. All I've known is hardship. All I've known is difficulty. All I've known is suffering. All I've known is loss. And for some of them, that is their whole experience. And, and that would be accurate for them to say that. And so in that space, we're not exempt from remembering what God has done. But if we don't have our own stories to tell, then we're going to have to co-opt the stories of others until we do. And the way that we're going to do that is we're going to turn to the scriptures. And we're going to believe the way that God spoke to Moses is the way that he can speak to me. We're going to believe the way that God shut the mouths of the lions for Daniel, he can do the same for me. We're going to believe that the same way he spoke to Matthew and Mark, to Luke and John, to Peter and to Paul, that he speaks to me in the same way. We're going to believe that the way he showed up for Mary and Martha in their darkest hour is the way he's going to show up for me. When we read the scriptures, we're not just kind of looking at the story, but we're placing ourselves in it. And we're saying, if God did it then, he can do it now. And then we're also going to learn the stories of church history. We're going to learn the stories of the people we go to church with. We're not just going to say, will you pray for me? But we're going to say, have you ever been through something like this? And as they tell us their story. It's going to affirm to us that what God has done, he will do. Then the psalmist continues in verse 2 to tell us that we have hope because God has put himself on the hook for us. He says in verse 2, In your righteousness, rescue me and deliver me. Turn your ear to me and save me. He's pointing us towards this, this kind of recurring theme in the psalms that our hope for rescue is the righteousness of God. David puts it this way in Psalm 23. He says that he guides us along right paths for his name's sake. Again and again and again, the righteousness of God is tied to his ability to act and intervene on behalf of his people. We see that God saves, he delivers, he heals, he provides, not because we say the right things or do the right things, but because of who 
he is. See, throughout the scriptures, God describes himself to us as our creator and as our father. And as our creator, it means that our life is here because he wanted it to be here. And so if I'm here, then he must have a purpose for me. And if he's my father, then it means he's put himself on the hook for my well-being. Whether we like it or not, those of you who are are parents in the room, whether you like it or not, you understand the idea that the well-being of your children reflects back on you as a parent, right? That, That if you've got a bunch of raggedy little kids running around, cussing everybody out all the time, stealing everything they can grab, slashing tires in the neighborhood, eventually people are going to think you're a bad parent, right? If your kids are going next door to knock and be like, hey, can we have some dinner? People are going to wonder what's going on in your house. Now, I get it. As a parent, I can't control all of the outcomes, right? You can do all the right things, and sometimes your kids still do ridiculous stuff. I understand that, but what we can control as fathers and mothers is we can control the inputs. And so I can control the idea that I'm going to let my kids know you are loved. No matter what you do, no matter where you go, I love you, your mom loves you, we're not going anywhere, that's never going to change. We love you to give them that sense of security and peace. We can provide for their physical needs, that they always have a roof over their head. They're always going to have food. They're always going to have clothing. We're always going to do our best to get them the the best education that we can obtain for them. We're going to do all of these things. And then above that, we're going to place them in a community of faith where they're surrounded by other believers, people their age, people older than them, who are telling them, God sees you, God knows you, God loves you, God has a plan for you. All of these inputs I can control as a father, and if I fail to provide any of those, it reflects poorly on me. Right? When I chose to have children, I put myself on the hook for their well-being. This is what the psalmist is trying to help us understand when he says that God will provide for us in his righteousness. That in some way, God has attached his reputation to your life. It doesn't mean that everything's always going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that you're never going to have a problem, but it means he's never going to abandon you. He's never going to forget about you. He's never going to turn his back on you. And sometimes where people are going to notice God's fatherly love in your life isn't just in your success, but it's also in your struggle. Because in your struggle, they're going to see your father is present and your father is sufficient. And he is leading and guiding and he's bringing experiences of peace and hope and joy and provision when there's no natural reason for you to have them. So so why can we hope in difficulty? Why can we persevere in affliction? Because God has put himself on the hook for us. And then in verse 3, we we get to the the portion where I want to spend most of our time today, right? The, the The God who puts himself on the hook for us is a strong, powerful immovable God. The psalmist says in verse 3, be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me for you are my rock and my fortress. So we'll just kind of work our way through those ideas he's given us. First of all, he says, God is our rock of refuge. The, The literal translation of that phrase is God is our mountain stronghold. Now we grew up and live in Oklahoma for the most part. So mountain strongholds are not really something we're familiar with, right? We have Turkey Mountain in Tulsa. Not a mountain at all, right? At, at Camp Egan, where we go with the kids, we tell them we're going to hike up the mountain. It takes two minutes. These are not mountains. These are hills. 
I grew up in Kansas, so I have even less of an understanding of mountains than we do in Oklahoma. At least in Oklahoma, we have the fake Arbuckle Mountains and the fake Wichita Mountains. In Kansas, we don't have anything. Right? We have rolling prairies. That's as, that's as close as we get to mountains. So, so I don't really have that much of an understanding and didn't have until I was an adult. An adult. And I had a privilege. I've, I've been a couple times. I have a friend who serves as a, a missionary in northern India. And he lives in the foothills of the Himalayas. And so I've went with him and we went on treks back into some of these villages. And at different spots, we'll stop and he'll point off in the distance and he'll say, that peak is 20,000 feet. And so is that one next to it, and that one next to it, and that one next to it. And when I'm in that space, I get a little better understanding of what it means for God to be a mountain stronghold, right? God is our rock of refuge, is not the landscaping rocks that you paid somebody to plant in your yard, right? It's not the little boulders that we see around parking lots. It's not the things you push down Turkey Mountain. For him to be our rock of refuge is for God to be our mountain stronghold, for him to be immense, for him to be immovable, for him to be unmeasurable, that there is no limit to his strength, to his size, and no one anywhere has any hope of moving him from where he is. Then the psalmist tells us that he is our rock of refuge to whom we can always go, meaning he's big enough for all of us all of the time. He is accessible to every person in every season. There's never a moment where God is not available to you. There's never a time when he is not listening, never a season when he is not watching. He's always concerned, always ready to act, always inviting us into his, pro- into his presence. And then he says, give the command to save me. Now there's some debate about what that means in this Psalm 71 text of, you know, is it God giving a command to angels to come? Is it God giving a command to change the circumstances? But for us, we read Psalm 71 in light of Jesus Christ. And because Jesus has come, because he suffered, he died, and he rose again, we know that God has already given the eternal command to save us. So in your situation this morning, if you're saying, yes, I need God to give the command, my encouragement to you is he already has. The power, the person, the presence of Jesus in your life is God's source of salvation. And nothing you're facing can keep that command from being made real in your life. And then he tells us, you are my rock and my fortress, right? And and this is where we, we have to really shift our understanding. God is our rock. Right? We, we have that idea of if he's our mountain stronghold, then he is someone I go to. I have to move from where I am to the place where he is. But what he's trying to help us understand here is God is our rock. God is our fortress. Peter and Paul pick up on this idea in the New Testament. Peter tells us that Jesus is the living stone. Paul tells us that Jesus is the spiritual rock. Both of them are making the point to us that the rock is not a place we go, but it is the presence of God that comes to us. So wherever you are this morning, the message of Psalm 71 is the rock comes to you. He is your safety. He is your security. He's not just a fortress you run into. He's a fortress that descends on you and surrounds you. And when we begin to shift to this understanding from just the the idea that God is a rock or provides a rock to he's the rock who comes, it begins to change our understanding of this. Now, if, if you've been in church for more than a minute, it's not the first time you've heard the idea that God is our rock. 
I mean, you could go home today and you could Google scriptures about God as our rock, and you're going to see dozens and dozens of times in the scripture where this idea is used to teach us about the power of God, about his strength, about his stability, about his, his ability to just be completely immovable in the face of every circumstance. And many of us, we know that and we've experienced it, and yet I think there's still a level of understanding that God wants to take us to that brings even more hope and even more security to us. For many of us, I think our understanding is, is what mine was for a long time of this idea of, you know, I would think almost like God was my rock. And so he was a rock, and he was there, and he was present, and this was my life, and when I placed my faith in Christ, I placed myself on the rock. And through my spiritual disciplines and through my faithfulness, my attachment to the rock grew stronger, right? As I would pray, it would dig in a little more. As I would read the scriptures, the grip would grow a little tighter. As I would serve, as I would give, as I would invite God's presence into my life, it felt like my life was becoming more and more attached to him. And that sustained me for a very long time. And, and the picture I had was, was of myself, I don't know if you've ever been to a creek or a stream or maybe even a river, and you see the rock that's planted out in it, and the water comes and it kind of divides around the rock as it goes, right? And, and that was the picture I had. Well, a couple years ago, I found myself in a season that was not that, it, it felt a little bit more like this, right? If the, the storms weren't just coming and kind of dividing around the rock, but they were coming and beginning to crash over. And what I discovered in that moment was as they started to crash over me, my grip was not quite what I thought it was. The discipline, the commitment, the, the perseverance that I thought I had developed, suddenly those things began to loosen a bit. And as, as those storms, have you ever been in that moment where it feels like there's a problem coming from this way, there's a problem coming from that way, there's some coming from behind, there's some coming from underneath, there's some coming from above, you look ahead and all you see are more problems on the horizon, that's the space that I was in. And what I had counted on for my first 20, 30 years of life, suddenly it wasn't working the same way it had worked before. And what I felt was I felt my grip slipping. I felt my commitment waning. I felt my discipline fading. And I felt like my attachment to the rock was in danger of becoming completely disconnected. And so I remember one Saturday night, especially, it was, it was one of those like, man, I'm dealing with this problem here, and I'm dealing with that problem here, and there's these issues at work, and there's these issues in, in family and friends, and there's this stuff in my past that I'm dealing with, and as I looked to the future, I saw storms on the horizon, and I, I felt it's something I'd been praying about for several weeks, and I felt like God was telling me, these are not storms that I'm going to calm, they're storms I'm going to lead you through. And that was not comforting at all. That was not the message I wanted to hear. And I remember laying in my bed that night, struggling to go to sleep. It was a Saturday night. It was about 1130. I had to preach the next day. And this was what I felt of, Lord, it just keeps coming. And I don't know how much longer I can hold on. And I started to have some of those thoughts of, God, did you really call me to do this? Like, is there something else I can do? Is it too late to be a history teacher and a basketball coach? Because that's sounding really good. Lord, can I support my family by stacking lumber at Home Depot? Because at least there's a sense of satisfaction at the end of the day. There'd be a pile of stuff to point to. I did that, right? And it just felt like I was in a season of life where the only thing I had to point to were problems. I did that. 
right? Not a fun place. I mean, I was, I was having those thoughts of how much would Angie have to work if I quit, right? Like all of these things are, are kind of coming into my heart and coming into my mind and, and met with a very real fear of my grip is fading, my strength is failing, and the storms are getting stronger. And Lord, I don't know that I can hold on much longer. And in that space, there have been just a handful of times in my life where I know God has spoken to me just as clearly as if he was in the room with me. And that night as I laid on my bed, I heard God say so clearly, you're not holding on to me, I'm holding on to you. And it completely changed my understanding of what it meant for God to be the rock. Right, I thought he was the rock and I had attached myself and I had to stay there no matter what. And in that moment, what he was telling me is, I'm the rock, but I've enveloped your life into me. And your grip might fade and falter, but mine never fails. I'm never going to forget about you. I'm never going to turn my back on you. It doesn't matter what he says or she says. It doesn't matter what they do or how big the problems are. The storms will come. The waves will get bigger. The seas will grow colder. The wind will get stronger. But you will not be moved because I hold you. He spoke to me very clearly in that moment from John chapter 15, verse 16, when Jesus tells us, you did not choose me. I chose you. And in that moment, my circumstances were still terrible. Nothing had changed. The storms were still on the horizon. There were difficult months that were still to come. There were massive problems that I had no hope of solving in my own strength or my own wisdom. But it changed everything. I went to sleep quickly and I slept well. I woke up with peace and with hope because I knew the rock holds me. And it wasn't about my strength. It was about his it wasn't about, Lord, am I strong enough to run to you once again? It was his promise of, I'm going to come to you. I am there. I have surrounded you. I chose you. I'm with you. So bring on the wind and bring on the waves, and it's going to come, and it's going to be hard, and it's going to be difficult, but you will not move because I will not move. And that understanding continues to transform my heart and transform my mind. God is our rock. He is our source of strength. He is present in every situation. So if you're here this morning and you're thinking, I can't hold on any longer, the good news is even if you let go, he won't. Even when you are faithless, he remains faithful. When you try to walk away, he runs after you. He's going to hold on to you. He's going to keep you safe. He's going to keep you secure. And you're going to find a source of peace, of hope, and joy that you've never known before. What the psalmist goes on to tell us then is when we have this experience, when you've come to this revelation that God is our rock and he holds on to us, then we have a responsibility to tell those, especially those who are coming behind us, of his goodness and his grace. Right? So, so we'll skip down a little ways to verse 14. And he says in verse 14, as for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous deeds and of your saving acts all day long. Though I know not how to re relate them all, I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteous deed, yours alone. Since my youth, God, you have taught me. 
And to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation and your mighty acts to all who are to come. See, when you've experienced God as your rock and your refuge, you have both the privilege and the responsibility to tell others about it. And especially, we need to pay attention to that instruction at the end of our responsibility to tell the generations coming behind us of what God has done. He says in verse 18, even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Even when I am old and gray, right? The title that no one wants to receive. Like this, this is one of those passages you read and you're like, yep, that's for the old people. Um, and the old people is whoever is still alive that's older than you, right? Just because we're not, we're not in that. We fight against it. But, but what I want to encourage you with this morning is when, when the Psalms talk about one generation declaring to another, they don't mean when you have reached the status of grandma, grandpa, or great grandma, great grandpa. What they mean is anytime there is someone younger than you in age or less experienced in their walk with God than you, you have a responsibility to them to share the good news with them. So what that means this morning is we are all old and gray, right? Now you might diet, you might have went to the barber yesterday and got the little higher fade than normal to try to get the gray out. You might have done all of those things, but if you have experienced God, you are old and gray and you have a responsibility to share with those who are coming behind you the goodness of God. To assure to them that what God has done, he will do. To tell them how you have come to understand that the rock holds you. And as you tell your story, it builds their faith. We see this at Royal Family Kids Camp all week long. You know, I serve in a staff role at camp. So I hang out at the pool in the afternoon with the kids and, and go to the, the little chapel services with them and, and just kind of walk around at dinner. And I am, uh, you know, it looks like I'm being friendly, but really what I'm doing is eavesdropping on all of the conversations that are going on. Because I love hearing the questions that kids ask their counselors. And I love hearing the responses of their counselors. And what I, what I hear and what I see over and over and over again is I hear counselors and I hear staff from our, some of our 16-year-olds who are there to, for the very first time to our, our camp grandma and grandpa and some of our older members who've been there for every year we've done Royal Family. What I hear again and again and again is no matter what question the kid asks, staff members and counselors turning it back to telling the story of Jesus' presence and provision in their life. When the kid says life is hard, I see counselors and staff saying, I know, let me tell you about when it was hard for me. Let me tell you about when Jesus worked. Let me tell you about how he saved, how he delivered, how he healed. Let me tell you why when I was a kid and had struggles and had hard times, how I was bullied at school, how I went through some of these experiences, how my parents were divorced. And as they tell those stories of their struggle, what they're really telling is the story of how the rock held on to them when they couldn't hold on to him. And those kids begin to identify with it. But at Royal Family, there's always just this, this little gap. Right? Because no matter how, how much I try to identify with a child in foster care, I've never been there. Right? And, and for the majority of our staff, that's true as well. Our volunteers, they, they've just never had that experience. They might have served as foster parents. They might be like me and they have friends from, from school and friends now that, that grew up in foster care. But until you've actually walked that road, you can't identify as fully as someone who has. 
This year at camp, I, I saw one of the, the most powerful experiences that I've witnessed, not just at Royal Family, but in my, in my entire life. It was a Tuesday night at camp, and so Monday night, the boys, they, they walk up the mountain at camp, and they go up the mountain and, and do some activities up there, and, uh, you know, mostly like throw rocks off the ledge and, and uh, that sort of thing. So, so the boys, it's, it's just fun. It's chaos. Now, when the girls go up, the girls go up on Tuesday night, and the girls have a different experience. The girls' experience is sweet, and it's more calm, and they sit around this big ring. You saw it in the video. Um, and, and they kind of hang out, and, and Don always does a little lesson with them while they're up there, uh, and talks to them about how God loves them. Well, this year we had a, uh, a camp staff member who was a former royal family camper. And so she had been at camp when she was seven, eight years old. Um, and she's been adopted, and she's in a loving home. And uh, she had agreed with, with Don of, hey, I would like to tell these girls my story. And so when I heard that was happening, I, I normally try to avoid the girls hike up the mountain, but I decided I'm going and I'm going to stand at the background because I don't want anyone to see me cry. And so I stood up there and kind of moved back away about as far as I could get. And I watched as, as this staff member stood up and in a, a way that was very appropriate, but very honest, she told her story. This is the family I grew up in. These were the poor choices my mom and dad made. I was abused. I was placed in foster care. And then she started to tell the story of God's hope and God's redemption. And she told the story about this foster mom who had taken her in, who loved Jesus and started taking her to church. And she told the story of how she started to discover God's love and she started to let him heal the hurts that were in her heart. And she told the story, and, and there, there are a few moments in life where you're in a room where you know everybody is fully engaged. And as I stood on the top of that hill at Camp Egan and I watched her tell the story, I saw every single little girl. There wasn't a, a look away. There wasn't a whisper. It was 100% locked in because her story was their story. But the difference was her story was in the process of being redeemed in a way that they couldn't quite put words to yet. So she started to tell them, it gets better. Jesus is with you. Jesus is going to heal your heart. He's going to take care of you. He's going to provide for you. She gave them a chance to ask questions, and they asked some brutally honest questions, and she answered them graciously and as fully as was appropriate. And in that space, what was she doing? She's young, but she had the maturity of someone who was old and gray. And she declared the mighty acts of God to the generation that was coming behind her. And her story was their story. And their story is going to become her story because the same rock that holds me is the same rock that holds her, is the same rock that holds on to every boy and girl that we take to royal family. In ways that we don't know, God works to bring safety, security, and salvation. And even when life is hard, he still comes. She started to tell them the story of, you know, Jesus has showed me that, that the reason these things happened to me when I was a kid was because the adults who were in charge of me made bad choices. So he's revealed to me that, that I've got to stop it and I've got to make good choices. And it was just such a beautiful moment as these kids saw. So not only is there hope for me, but my kids and my friends, they're going to have a different experience of life because I'm going to make good choices. Right? What's the power in that? The power is what Jesus has done and her willingness to tell the story. 
And you and I, I don't know where you are, you might be in the middle of your story being written. You might be in the space this morning where you're still praying that Psalm 71 verse 3, God, be my rock of refuge. And and you're just going to have to cry it out over and over and over. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me for you are my rock and my fortress. You might be in the space where you're just praying that prayer and saying, God, be that for me. Come and and remind me that you chose me. Come and remind me that you have enveloped me. Come and demonstrate that even when I let go, you hold on. Or maybe you're on the other side of that and and you've had those moments and now it's the Lord encouraging you. You've got to tell that story. There are others who need that hope. There are others who need that encouragement. They need to know God sees them. He knows them. He loves them. He has a plan for them. Wherever you are this morning, God is our rock. He is our refuge. He is our fortress. He has come and enveloped us. As I was praying, you know, it's kind of a weird week if you're at Royal Family and I'm trying to find these little moments here and there to, to write a sermon. And so I'm writing it as kids are coming in to chapel. I'm writing it at different times here and there. And, and every time I kind of come to the end, it just felt like, man, that just falls off a cliff. Lord, I don't know. I mean, we're going to pray, obviously, and we'll sing a song, and I hope Lauren can redeem the thing. But God, I don't know how you want to end this. And all day yesterday saying, Lord, how, what, do you, what do you want me to say? Like, what's the, what's the finish to that? Be my rock. Be my refuge. I know that's it, but Jesus, it feels like there's something more. My, my alarm went off at 510 this morning, and by the time I got out of bed at 524, uh, I, I, it was there. I don't know if I needed that 14 minutes of hitting snooze twice or what it was. But when I put my feet on the floor, what I heard God say to me was Jesus did not choose you to lose you. And I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know how great your doubts are. I don't know how great your need is. But the rock chose you. And he holds on to you. And he's not letting go and he's not turning away. Right? And he is not growing to grow weary. And when you're exhausted, he is full of strength. And when you are faithless, he will be faithful. And he will extend his mighty hand to you to save, to deliver, to heal, to provide. God has not called you into your, his family to abandon you, but to care for you. He's chosen. He's put himself on the hook for you. He is going to provide. So if you'll stand with me, I want to pray for you this morning. We're just going to believe that what God has done, he will do. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? If you're here this morning and you're in a spot where you say, I I need God to be my rock. I need to know that he has me and I need to know that he is in the process of delivering me. Will you raise your hand where you are so I can pray with you? Lord, you see each one of us. You see those that responded and and those that, that should have and still want to. Lord, we come to you this morning and we pray that you will be our rock of refuge. Lord, we believe that you did not choose us to lose us, but you chose us to keep us. You chose us to provide for us. You chose us to save us, to deliver us, to heal us. You chose us to experience your grace and your mercy. You chose us to pour out your love and compassion. God, you chose us to renew our hearts and our minds. You chose us to break every chain of sin. 
God, you chose us to drive out every thought that is at odds with your kingdom and your presence. You chose us, Lord, to be your sons and your daughters. We believe you chose us, Lord. You have put your reputation on the line with us. And we believe you are righteous. We believe you are true. We believe you're the God who saves and delivers and heals. And so now, Lord, we pray, will we know you as our rock? Will we know that you have taken hold of us and you are not letting go? Will we know that though the waves may grow, the seas may be cold, the winds may be strong, you are not moved. God, you have promised to be with us in every high and in every low. You have promised, Lord, that in the highest heavens, you are there. And in the deepest depths, you are there. And so wherever we find ourselves today, Lord, may we know you as our strong tower. May we know you as our mighty fortress. May we know you as the one who secures us, who holds us, in whom we are safe. God, come today. Be bigger than our circumstances, bigger than our grief, bigger than our doubt, bigger than our sin work and move to assure us, Lord, that you have us and you're not letting go. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.